a hypothetical question for y'all. Now, it's hypothetical, okay? So don't be, don't try to over-rationalize this. Hypothetically, if I woke you up in the middle of the night and I told you you had to evacuate your house in five minutes and you could only take what you could carry knowing you can't go back into that house, you can't go back for anything, what is it you would grab? Okay, now let's assume that every person in your household is able to walk themselves out the door and they can carry what they can carry. If you got a baby that can't walk, you better grab that baby because they can't walk out that door. But hypothetically, you got five minutes. What are you gonna grab before you leave? Turn to your neighbor and tell them in 20 seconds. You got 10 seconds left. And the door to your house is closing in three, two, one. Okay, door is shut. If you haven't named it, you don't have it, okay? Now let's see what you guys grabbed on the way out. Now who here immediately said that they would grab their phone, computer, or something tech related? Okay, that's quite a few. Who are my sentimental people that took photo frames off the wall, the scrapbook, that childhood toy? Okay, only one couple sentimental people. All right. (laughs) Where are my practical people that remembered like clothes, food, maybe their toothbrush? Few practical people. What about the people that were able to think rationally in a moment of panic and they remembered that whole folder of important documents, you know, like your birth certificate, your passport, those things you need? Just a few. Okay. Just a few people made it out the door with that. And where are my spiritual people that got their Bible? (laughs) Sure. Did you guys actually name Bible? Okay. Good work, teenagers. All right. We'll see. Once in California, 180,000 residents had to quickly evacuate their house because of wildfires that were approaching. And here's some of the random things that people grabbed on their way out. There was this funny uh, thread of people telling them, I don't know how I got this, but this is what I took. Okay. Now let's remember this was a moment of panic and they were not thinking rationally, so we will not judge. All right. But somebody walked out with a cookbook. (laughs) Somebody walked out with three didgeridoos. Yeah, not just one, but had three of them. Like, I don't know what else you could carry. Those things can be big. Somebody, it was a man, took his brand new leaf blower that he just bought. (laughs) Somebody took an elephant-shaped doorstop. Like, it didn't mean anything to them. They just grabbed it on the way out the door. Somebody took two carved pumpkins off their front porch. A woman took a large Kentucky Derby hat. She was gonna look fancy as she evacuated from these fires. Somebody took a cucumber, no other food, just a cucumber. I was like, I'll have that. Somebody took their 30-year-old wedding dress. Somebody took a sewing machine, that'd be pretty heavy. Somebody else grabbed a bathroom rug. I don't know why. They're like, we'll just grab that too. Somebody else grabbed their TV remote and then couldn't grab the TV, but they still made it out with the remote that now was useless. And somebody else who didn't even have a dog took an old dog leash. Don't know why. They're like, yep, I might need that as I evacuate the fires. People will do funny things when they are rushed and panicked. And I know that if I was woken up in the middle of the night and told I had five minutes to get my butt out the door, I would not be the most calm person. And Frosty would probably hate me in that moment. He'd, I feel like he'd be pretty calm. 
He'd become, I would not. Um, but I've got a message for y'all called Bring the Tambourine. I'll tell you why in a little bit. But bring the tambourine. If you're taking notes, write that down. And let's pray before we jump into scripture today. God, I just thank you so much that you are here with us right now. And God, I pray that as we dive into your word, Lord, would you enlighten us to these stories that we're about to share? Would you bring fresh revelation for people as they engage with your word today? God, I pray that you would speak and that we would listen. We are here gathered in your house under your name, under your authority to hear what it is that you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to the book of Exodus, y'all. If you got your Bibles, you can turn there with me now. But we're going to the book of Exodus because there's a few lessons we can learn from this massive nation of people that had to evacuate their homes in the middle of the night, taking what they could carry. Now, some scholars believe that the Israelites had grown to almost 2 million people at this point in time because it lists that there were a number of men, I believe it was 600,000 men, but when you add all the women and children in, they believe it was close to 2 million people in this nation of Israel. Now that is greater than the population of Auckland. Imagine we just got notice in the middle of the night that all the people in Auckland had to evacuate their homes and get out of town. Like it would be carnage on the motorway. People would not be friendly. And <laughs> that would be insane. So there's 2 million people that are evacuating Egypt in the middle of the night because the time had come for the Israelites to leave this land of slavery that they had grown up in and journey towards the promised land. But they needed to follow God's instructions clearly. They needed to follow exactly what he said. And he told them, as you eat your final meal, this final meal in the land of bondage, I want you to eat it with your shoes on, with your walking stick in hand and be fully dressed, ready to go. Now, that's a stressful meal, right? You don't know when God is going to say go, but you're sitting there with your shoes on, walking stick in hand, and you're eating this meal knowing that the final plague is passing through Egypt. Because a number of plagues hit this nation because Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. And each plague became worse than the last, and this was the worst one of all. It was when every firstborn son was dying. And all of the Israelites' children, they were protected because they followed God's instruction. But the firstborn sons of the Egyptians were dying as God passed over this land. And so this was their final meal. And as child after child after child died, sounds of wailing filled the land. And Pharaoh finally said, okay, you can go. Get out. I don't want you guys here anymore because your God is all powerful. Just go. And he told them to evacuate in the middle of the night. And they needed to go before he changed his mind. So this brings us to Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. You can read it on the screens with me. It says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though it was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and just return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way Ever feel like God's taking you on a roundabout way sometimes? Through the wilderness, towards the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Verse 21, the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and then provided light at night with a pillar of fire. 
This allowed them to travel by day or by night, and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Now, I don't know even how to fully picture what this pillar of fire would look like, but it would have been majestic. It would have been awe-inspiring. And this moment that we're reading about is what we know as the Exodus. It's one of the greatest stories that we can read in Scripture, but it all relied on God's people following his instructions to the T. It relied on them moving at the pace that God was moving. Because the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire is what guided them forward, and they could not try to outstep this pillar that guided them. You see, the thing that you need to know as you walk out your journey with God, even in moments of uncertainty, you need to move at the pace of grace. Move at the pace of grace. You know, it's really easy for us to try and step outside of God's timing because we think it's going too slow. We might be like, God, I Google Maps it, and it told me to go this way. This way is much quicker, and you're taking me on this roundabout way. We think we know better than God sometimes. We think we try to take things into our own strength, but they needed to move at the pace of grace, following him every step of the way, even though it was the roundabout way. And it was the middle of the night, but God's presence was with them every single moment. And because they moved at the pace of grace, they were able to experience God's grace like nobody ever had before. It says the Israelites camped there as they were told. When God said, now camp here, they did. When God said, let's move, they did. When they set up camp, it even looked like they were trapped in the wilderness because they were at the edge of the Red Sea, but God did this intentionally. He wanted to confuse the Egyptian army that was gonna come chasing after them. And so some of them might've been panicking. They're like, wait, there's the Red Sea and then Pharaoh's army is behind us. It looked as if they were trapped, but because they moved at the pace of grace, they were able to experience his incredible grace in that moment because only he could rescue them from that position. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, Moses says to these people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Now, he probably didn't say it the way I just said it because remember, he's leading two million people, right? Two million people, there's going to be a lot of people in that crew that don't trust God the same way that Moses does, that don't have that same clear conviction that Moses does. In fact, I imagine people at the back of the crowd, they could see the Egyptians approaching on these chariots coming after them, and they were probably panicking, trying to get into the middle of the crowd so they're not first for the picking. And so Moses was probably like, y'all, just stay calm, okay? God is going to rescue us today. So this was a moment that required extreme trust because God did the miraculous for them. He parted the Red Sea while this pillar of fire separated the Israelite camp from Pharaoh's army. It was a moment where almost 2 million people walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. It was a moment where they stepped out of this land of slavery and into the land of freedom. It was a moment of extreme trust. It was a moment where an entire nation of people moved at the pace of grace. And because they did, they experienced miraculous deliverance. And they were filled with awe and wonder as they watched the waters crash over the enemies that wanted to encapture them again. The water crashed over them in this moment. And you know what happened? They started to sing. 
Exodus 15 actually starts with Moses and all the people singing a song of deliverance. A song that was then passed down from generation to generation to generation. We can still read that song today because they passed it down because they wanted people to know of God's victory in the past. They wanted people to be reminded of how God rescued them. I love it that since the early days, singing started to become part of their storytelling. Singing was an expression of their worship. Singing was a reminder to them of what God had done so they could be reminded and have confidence of what God was yet to do. This is amazing. And I love picturing this moment because it probably started with one person singing these lyrics and then a few people learned them and then they started to sing together and that small group got bigger and bigger and bigger until the entire nation was singing on the bank of the Red Sea after they just watched their enemies get washed away before their eyes. You need to know that when we're in a valley season, when we are going through a season of uncertainty, a season of the unknown, a season where we're not quite sure what tomorrow might look like, we can still sing a song of confidence. Sing a song of confidence. I mentioned this last week when I was in scene because I've been journeying through the book of Psalms. Does anybody else love the book of Psalms? It's very human and very emotional, but also it reminds us to praise. And it reminds us that we can have confidence in our God. And this is important for us as Christians to actually look at these songs that the Israelites used to sing because they were songs of confidence. Many were written by King David, who was once a shepherd boy, some by his son Solomon, others by a worship leader named Asaph, and others we don't know. But there's this group of psalms, 15 of them, called the Songs of Ascent. And the Songs of Ascent were songs that people would sing as they were actually making their way up the hill towards the city of Jerusalem. And this is when Jews would actually come for one of the three annual Jewish festivals and they would make their way up to the city of Jerusalem. So they were songs of ascent and they were songs of confidence, songs of remembrance, of remembering what God had done. And I love this, as they were drawing close to the presence of God, their spirits were singing songs of confidence, saying, God, I know who you are and I know you are good and I know you can pull me out of this season. And as I ascend towards your presence, I will sing about your goodness. See, as these people were making their way towards the temple, as they were making their way towards a festival, they were reminding themselves, that they do need to celebrate because there's always reason to celebrate his goodness and his provision. They were on a journey that was drawing them closer to God. You know, I think it's easy for us to forget how to worship sometimes. It's so easy for us to say, oh, I don't, I don't feel like worshiping today. I don't feel like God's been good to me this week, so I'm not going to sing. You know, I just... I don't know if I really like their song selection right now, so I'm just going to show up only for the message of the service. It's easy for us to forget how to worship, right? It's easy for us, and that's why even way back in Moses' time, God commanded them to have these annual festivals to remind them how to celebrate to remind them that even in a season of uncertainty, there was still reason to celebrate. There was still reason to be joyous. There was still reason to worship. You need to know that your greatest weapon against the pursuit of the enemy is actually just this worship flowing out of your heart. You want to know how to silence the enemy who is whispering in your ear? Start singing. It will annoy the devil so much when you start singing songs to God because the devil, when you're silent, he can whisper whatever he wants and you will hear every word. But when you start singing worship, 
is silences his voice in your life. Sing a song of confidence, y'all, and sing at the top of your lungs until you can believe the words that you are declaring. See, praise and worship, what we do at the beginning of this service, it's not just because songs sound good. It's because we're entering God's presence. We are entering the house of God, and as we are ascending towards his presence, we want to sing songs of confidence because we know who God is. You know, when you sing songs of confidence, it actually helps build up your own spirit, but it also strengthens your brain. In fact, scientists have discovered this. Even non-Christian scientists have discovered this, that there's part in your brain called the anterior cingulate. Now, it is like a buffer between your prefrontal cortex and your amygdala. Now, those are fancy words for your logic center that helps you think rationally and your fear center that responds emotionally. And this buffer in between them that actually helps you develop a better response and be more kind and compassionate and better respond in stressful situations, you can strengthen that through prayer, meditation, and faith-based singing. It's proven. And it's not just any singing. It's faith-based singing. See, your brain is actually hardwired for faith. And so when you're singing songs of confidence, songs of worship, you're building up your own spirit and strengthening your own brain to respond better in moments of stress and panic. And we sing because we know that God's character is unchanging. That means we sing because we know the same God who parted the Red Sea for the Israelites is the same God who can part the seas for us today We sing, not just because of what he's done, but we sing because of who he is. See, a lot of you are waiting to praise God until he does something for you, but you need to praise God simply because of who he is. We got to move at the pace of grace, and we sing songs of confidence as we draw closer to his promises, but this next verse in scripture is one of my favorites, y'all. You might have just passed over this and not realizing this scripture But let me tell you, chapter 15, verse 20, okay? It says, then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, also Moses' sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. Now, why is this one of my favorite moments in scripture? Well, y'all got to remember that the Israelites were told to evacuate their homes in the middle of the night, right? They had to get out quick. Because Pharaoh said, okay, y'all can go. And they were moving before, God, before Pharaoh changed his mind. And so they were taking what they could carry. And Miriam was like, y'all where my tambourine at? I ain't leaving the house with my tambourine, okay? Remember how people grabbed really random items in that California wildfire evacuation? I don't know who would think to grab a tambourine, but Miriam did. And it wasn't just her. It says all the women picked up their tambourines and danced. It means it was like this group organization of all the women saying, hey, ladies, go get your tambourine, okay? And so they all left Egypt with their tambourines in hand. And I love picturing this moment. This is how I read scripture, and it's more fun this way, so you should too. Um, But I like to picture how things actually played out. Because imagine that moment where they had to leave their houses, and all these Israelite women are running back inside, and the Israelite men are so frustrated with them, right, (laughs) trying to get women out the house in a hurry, still happens today. (laughs) But the men are trying to get the women out of the house and the women are running back in. And Rossi hates it when I do this because I do it often. But I'm not just thinking about what I need in the moment. I'm thinking about what I need later in the day. You know, I like to be prepared. 
And so we recently went on a holiday and Frosty saw what I had packed in my suitcase and literally a quarter of my suitcase was snacks. Um, and he's like, why do you need all that? We'll just buy some when we get there. That's his rationale to everything. We'll just buy it when we get there if we forget it. And I'm like, I want to be prepared when I get there. I don't want to waste time trying to find a store or a supermarket in a random city or country. And I'm pregnant, so I'm taking my snacks, okay? And so I had all these snacks because I was prepared. I'm also the type of person, if we go away for the weekend or we're out for a really long day, you, who knows? It's Auckland. It might start raining. We might be trapped in a cafe. Don't worry. I have Monopoly deal in my bag. We're sorted for our entertainment for a few hours. You want to have a picnic at the beach? Sorted. I'm ready. Picnic blanket and the game of cub is in the boot, ready to go, okay? I like to be prepared for future situations. I'm the type of person who will often be walking out of the house with a bag, with things in my arms, and then I do that little survey just to look around the house to see if there's anything that I left, right? Does any, anybody else do that, or is that just me? There's a few people. Some of y'all didn't raise your hand, but it's you too. Uh, I'm looking around, and Frosty gets so frustrated standing at the door. He literally stands at the door with the door open. He's like, woman, stop looking around, and let's get out the house, okay? But here's the thing. I got a bit of Miriam in me. I got a bit of Miriam, and I say, bring the tambourine. Because who knows when you're going to need a tambourine, right? Now, remember, this is how I read scripture. So I'm picturing this moment where all of a sudden we realize that Miriam and all the women have tambourines. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, let's rewind to that moment when they were leaving Egypt, when they're walking out the house, and all the ladies' bags are just jingling. You know? Like, they're walking out of Egypt, and their bags are jingling, and all the men are probably like, ladies, what is in your bag? And they're like, mm, it's my tambourine. And they're like, what? you're What? It's our tambourines. <laughs> like, the men probably would have gotten really frustrated with them, right? And they're like, Moses, we brought our tambourines, okay? We're not leaving without them. And so they're walking down the street, and they've got these tambourines. And I love this because a lot of people might look at this and think, well, that's a really random item to grab when you're evacuating. But it was very intentional of these women. See, they brought their tambourines on purpose. They brought their instrument of praise because they expected to praise. They brought their weapon of worship because they knew a victory dance was coming and they wanted to be prepared. See, they wanted to be ready to praise God, not just in that moment, but in the future because they knew that victory was coming for them. And so they didn't want to leave the house without their tambourines. And my question for y'all is what are you carrying in your valley season? See, as you're walking towards the promises that God has for you and your future, what weapon is in your bag? I hope you've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is the most powerful weapon you can use against the enemy. But I also hope that you have an instrument of praise. I hope that in your spirit you realize that there is always reason to worship God. And there is always time to worship God. See, that's why when we were walking through our own valley season of infertility, we had this motto of carry confetti because I had full confidence in my God. I had full confidence in his promises. And so we moved at the pace of grace and we sang songs of confidence, so many songs of confidence, but we also carried confetti because I expected victory and I expected his promises to come and I expected that he would come through for us. See, at some point, God is gonna part the waters for you too and are you ready to praise him when he does? See, it's biblical to pause for a dance party. I'm just saying, it's in scripture, y'all. 
it is biblical to pause for a dance party before you continue on in your journey. Were they in the promised land yet? No. But had they actually just witnessed a crazy miracle? Yes. And that was reason enough for them to praise God right there in that moment. And this moment in scripture is actually so cool because from what we know and what scholars suggest, Miriam began this Israelite tradition of celebrating God's victories through dance. How cool is that? That is incredible. Come be my Moses for a second. See, a lot of people, they know who Moses is. Moses is the great leader of Israel. He's famous. We all know his name. He has a famous line that even like the kids' church will sing in different songs. What did he say? You shall not. No. <laughs> Let my people go. See, that's the famous line from Moses. And that's often we look at Moses' story. But do you realize it was his sister behind him who started the dance party? See, even the greatest leaders actually need some hype men and women around them who know how to celebrate the victory when God is coming through. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but from what we know, dance actually from this point on for the Israelites was used to reenact the battles to demonstrate God's victory. They became storytellers, not just with the lyrics in their songs, but with the artistry of dance. And I, I think this is so cool because this was part of their worship. A pastor named Charles Stanley said, if true praise is the overflow of the human heart, why is it that we don't praise God more often? Perhaps it's because we're unprepared. Perhaps we're unprepared to praise him. Perhaps we forgot to bring the tambourine. Perhaps we didn't fully expect God to bring us that victory. Or maybe we've been guilty of saying something like this, God, I'll celebrate you when I have a reason to. I'll buy the art once you give me the house. I'll buy that suit once you secure that job for me. See, I'll celebrate you. I'll praise you when I have a reason to. A lot of people can be guilty of saying that, but we got to stop saying, I'll praise you when, and we need to start saying, I will praise you now, because remember, we praise God not just for what he's done or for what he's doing, but because of who he is. We've got to remember that. Some of y'all have forgotten how to sing and how to dance and how to let gratitude flow out of you as an expression of worship. And maybe it's because you've stepped out of the pace of grace. And you're trying to just do things in your own strength. You're striving in your own strength. But actually, if you just realign yourself with God's grace for a moment, realign yourself with his purposes and his plans for you, then you'll actually find that there is always reason to and always time to sing and dance. You know, we can be so guilty as Christians of just going through the motions and forgetting how joyful Christians should be. We've already got the victory we forget how joyful Christians should be. In fact, my mom, you know what she calls us Pentecostals? She calls us the holy rollers or the happy clappy kind of church <laughs> because we're loud and we make a lot of noise and we clap and we sing and we dance during worship. And she calls her Presbyterian church the frozen chosen, okay? <laughs> but I read the Bible and it looks like me, like when I'm reading the Bible and I read about Miriam and the Israelites, they were happy clappy. They had reason to celebrate. They had reason to be joyful and they had reason to dance and to sing. You know, I want to be like Miriam where I'm not afraid to make some noise for my God. Where I'm not afraid to grab the tambourines. You know, you know their bags were jingling all the women as they left Egypt. 
Some of them probably already knew the victory was coming, so they didn't even try to hide it. I bet you some women were like, bye, y'all. We out. You know, they finally had reason to walk out of slavery and out of bondage, and they praised their way out of it. <laughs> I love it. Women being obnoxious from day one. <laughs> but the sister of Moses She was an important leader for the people of Israel because not only was she the young girl who placed her baby brother Moses in a basket to save him from impending death as he drifted into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, but she was also the dance captain who followed that same brother through the parted waters when they walked through this miracle. But do you realize from that point to that point, she would have had decades of being in a valley season? not knowing when deliverance would come for her and her people. As a young girl, if you picture it, she stood on the bank of the Nile River, watching her baby brother drift into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter. And then as a grown woman, she actually danced on the bank of the Red Sea, watching that same brother lead God's people out of Pharaoh's hands. She made bold decisions when she was younger and bold declarations when she was older. She was a woman of influence. Because do you realize it said when Miriam picked up her tambourine and dance, all the women did too. She was a woman of influence and she knew how to stop and celebrate God's goodness. And what is it that you're carrying into battle with the enemy? When the enemy starts to whisper at you, What is it that you're carrying in that moment of panic? See, I don't know about you, but in one hand, I've got the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. So I know how to declare God's truth over my situation. But in the other hand, I got my instrument of praise to silence the enemy. And that's how I'm going to fight the enemy every single day. See, when it's silent, when I'm silent, he can whisper all he wants and I'll hear every single word. But actually, I can say, well, devil, it is written. And here's the truth. Let me just take you to the book of Revelation, okay? And go there. And then when he tries to talk, you just. Oh, sorry, devil. What what'd you say? Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, you could be so annoying to the enemy if you learn how to praise God with everything that you've got, where you don't even give him a moment to speak. Keys can come join me now. I'm getting carried away in this service just like I was last service. I could talk about this all day, but you need to know that God has given you all that you need as you walk out this journey before God. Whether you're in the wilderness, whether you're walking through your Red Sea moment, you need the word of God, but you also need the weapon of worship. You need both. And sometimes we forget how important the worship is. Sometimes we just put it on the back burner, but God wants you to praise him for who he is, not just for what he does. And so church, as I come to a close, I just want to pray for y'all today because I'm believing that praise can flow out of us in every single moment. And I want this to be a house of praise where sounds of praise drift out onto the streets where we become people in Papakura and the surrounding suburbs, where we metaphorically carry our tambourines through and we're not afraid of what the enemy try to do, tries to do because we're going to silence him with our sounds of worship. So church, would you just lift your hands as I pray over you? God, I thank you so much that all of these stories are recorded in your word that can inspire us, that can reignite our faith, that can help us realize how important it is to praise you, not just when we have it good, but to praise you even in the moments where we feel lost, even in the moments where we feel uncertain, even in the moments 
where we're crying and we're breaking down, God, I pray that you would remind us to worship. I pray that you would remind us to sing and to dance and to let gratitude flow out of us in every single moment. Lord, would you bless every single person that's here today. In Jesus' name, amen.